Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. With that said, we're in Mark's Gospel, chapter 9. And uh, this, I, I was excited um, when uh, Andrew asked me to teach this passage. It's, it's one that I enjoy. It's one that has really ministered to me. Um, and it is uh, the story of the transfiguration of Christ. And this passage, it's, it is deeply theological in, in the sense that as we go through it, we are going to be faced with some really big Bible concepts. Like it's going gonna, it's gonna to present to us in a vivid way some of the biggest Bible concepts that we have. But it's also a passage that is extremely devotional. It's one that there's, some, there's something that if you haven't taken it away from this text already and kind of put it in, in your pocket and something that can help carry you through your own relationship with Jesus, there's, it's here for you. I'll show it to you. It's verse, uh, it's in chapter 9 and it's verse, uh, sorry, verse 23. Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible for him who believes. So he's facing a challenging situation. He's got the promises of God. He's got the person of God that he's encountered, but he's got the reality of life. And these two things are butting heads. And then Jesus says, well, you know, if you can believe, all things are possible for you who believe. Look at the next line. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. But what's the, what's the rest of the line? Oh, my unbelief. Is that you? Like, he just described my life. This is me on any given day in any given situation. Lord, I believe. I know your promises. You know, we sang that song about looking different directions. By the way, I can never remember words to songs. And almost every time I hear a song, I think it's the first time I'm hearing it. So, but we did sing that song, and we were singing about, I look up, and I look around, and I look in, and I look out. You know, I, I don't remember the words, but there was one part of it where I look back, right? I look back, and then there was another part where I look forward. That's kind of this idea. But I, I believe, Lord, I, you have been so faithful in my life. Your word has been proven for thousands of years in almost innumerable saints as they faced these crazy difficulties in life, and you came through. Lord, I believe, but I also don't believe. <laughs> I also am having a super hard time reconciling this situation with your promises and your character. So this is a tremendously devotional passage. This is a, something take home with you. Put that one in your pocket. It's going to help you through challenges. And then this, this passage, in addition to being theological and presenting this huge Bible concept and being very practical, you've got something for free with a donut that you can take home and help you through challenges. It's also something that is very, we might say, instructive or maybe practical in, in the, the challenges that we face. There are challenges that you face in your attempts to walk with Jesus. I just straight up, I have given my life to Christ. I want to follow him. And there are challenges that you face that make it difficult to simply walk with and please Jesus. 
Then we have the challenges of influencing those that we love the most to grow and develop in their relationship with Jesus. You know, discipling our family members and helping to encourage our friends and the people that we care about. And there's challenges to that. And then there's the challenges that we face to, to seeing God's kingdom furthered, to seeing the, that what God has done in our life spread and impact the lives of others and locally and globally. And there's challenges that we face. And this passage of scripture has instructive or practical insight in how to move those things forward. It's at the end of our text and the disciples, when they say to Jesus, they say they, they encountered this demon-possessed child. They, they, you know, they got beat up. They lost the fight. Uh, it was, you know, 1,000 to nothing. And, uh, and they come to Jesus afterwards. They say, Jesus, why was it that we were unable to have victory in this situation? We have the devil doing his stuff to try to oppose the work that we know you want to do in the life of this child. Why couldn't we be victorious? Why couldn't we win this battle? Look at the, at the close. It's at verse 29. I'm sorry, 28. When he came into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast it out? Why, were we, why did we fail in our attempts? And Jesus said to them, this, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. He tells them a little bit of something about how to deal with the over-challenging challenges that we face in life. Hey, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. You, you can't approach this particular challenge the same way you've approached the other ones. It's, you have to approach this challenge differently. This, this one, it's, you're seeing yourself being defeated here you need to approach it differently. This one requires more prayer and more fasting. So, so as we walk through this text, this text is deeply theological. We're going to learn something this morning or be reminded something this morning or, or have illustrated for us something this morning of the, the, one of the biggest Bible concepts that we have. We're also going to have something devotional. We're also going to walk away with something practical for the challenges that unfortunately we're all going to face. I mean, it would be wonderful I could say, oh, we're going to look at a passage that's going to take all of our challenges away. That's a, that'd be a better passage, right? There's, I don't have time for this, so I'll tell you anyway. There's a lot of Bible verses that I'm not super fond of. Okay? I'm, not, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that. Andrew will fix it next week. But there's Bible verses that I'm not fond of. I'm not fond of Bible verses that say, fight the good fight of faith. I don't particularly like that verse. I would like if that verse said, rest in the good hammock of faith, or vacation on the restful island of faith. Like, that's a verse I'd like. Like, that's awesome, okay? But the reality is, life is filled with those obstacles, and we have to learn how to face those obstacles. So that being said, let's look at our text. Our, our text, I told you that it's going to present something for us deeply theological. Um, this text is about what we call the transfiguration of Christ. Verse 9 begins, or verse 1 of chapter 9 begins this way, and Jesus said to them, assuredly I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death 
until they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. So, our text is telling the story of the transfiguration of Christ. The, the word transfigured is a word that speaks of a complete change in form. The, the, the word that's translated to the word transfigure is a word that just means to change the form of something. It's the word that we get our English word metamorphosis from. And we re- remember metamorphosis from junior high science class. Right, where we talk about certain insects or amphibious creatures that change form. We have the, the, the more memorable ones where we have the tadpole that becomes a frog, or we have the caterpillar that becomes the butterfly, or we have the 18-wheeler that becomes Optimus Prime. Okay, so you have the transformation. The less, the less enjoyable one is the maggot that becomes the housefly. And we think, well, I don't want either of those things. <laughs> I want you to be a maggot and I don't want you to be a housefly. But, but here, the, the change is speaking of a change in the appearance of Jesus. That Jesus looked one way when he was with the 12. They, they had been in Caesarea Philippi. Um, they had been um, conversing together about the role and function of what was ahead for Jesus. The disciples were confused about it. And then he, he t- says to a few of them some length of time, six days later, he says to three of them, Let, let's walk up this mountain. It's presumed that it's Mount Hermon, but the text doesn't tell us that. And they make their way up this mountain. And Jesus looked one way when he was down the mountain with them. And when they got to the top of the mountain, his form had changed. Um, the apostle Peter, th- this, this event tremendously impacted Peter's life, and he wrote about it later in 2 Peter chapter 1, and when he wrote about it, he used the word majesty interchangeably with the word trans, or transfigured. So he's saying that the, the, we, we saw Jesus transformed. He, his form, his appearance was different on top of that mountain than it was at the bottom of that mountain, and what we saw was we saw his majesty. And so what is happening in this text is the disciples, Peter, James, and John, are getting a glimpse of what Jesus will look like in his glorified state. What Jesus is... So they saw him. Remember, Paul wrote to the Philippians, and he talked about how how Jesus, being in the form of God, didn't consider robbery with God something that he had to grasp at. He's equal with God. But we're told that he became a human being. He took on the form and the appearance of a man. He came as a servant and as a servant humbled himself as a sacrifice upon the cross. He, he took on human form. Well, here at the transfiguration, something of his glory is revealed. Um, John described the glorified Jesus this way. This is Revelation chapter 1. Listen, just listen to the description that John gives of Jesus that he saw on the island of Patmos. So the last time he'd seen Jesus, Jesus, he'd seen Jesus hanging lifeless on the cross. Then he saw Jesus in some sort of glorified state as he rose from the dead. But then he writes this description. He said, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. 
And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, girded about his chest with a golden band. His head and hair were, were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like brass, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in strength. And so they see Jesus transfigured. It's like we're seeing something of the glorified Jesus. We're seeing something of what he will always be, not what he limited himself to be when he was in human form. And, and this serves to illustrate the coming kingdom. Look again with me at verse 1. There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom come with power or the kingdom present with power. Peter, this transformed his life. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter says that we didn't follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of Jesus. He says, he says, do you remember when we talked to you guys about the power of Jesus, about the fact that, that, that Jesus can transform your life and through you and the presentation of the gospel message, Jesus can transform the lives of others? Do you remember when we talked to you about the power of God? And do you remember when we talked to you about the coming of Christ? Do you remember when we talked to you about the fact that, that, that one day Jesus Christ is going to return He's going to come back for his saints. Did you remember when we talked to you about that, Peter's saying? And he says, we weren't following cunningly devised fables. He says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw the glorified Christ. He goes on to say this, for we received from God the Father, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him saying, this is my beloved son, and we heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the mountain. So this, this event changed Peter's life, and it gave him confidence. And this event is also designed to illustrate the work that God wants to do in us. Jesus is at the bottom of the mountain in his human form. Jesus is at the top of the mountain in a, in a transfigured form, in a majestic form, in a glorified form. And this word transfigured outside of the text that we're reading and parallel texts, it's used two times. It's used in Romans chapter 12. You'll, you'll recognize the verse. Let me read it to you. Do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed. And then listen, by the renewing of your mind. So Paul is writing to believers and he's saying, listen, there's going to be pressure that's going to come upon you from the world around you. And this pressure is designed to change your shape. And it's designed to actually change you into the shape of the culture that you live in. So there's pressure for you to think and act like the culture of South Florida. There's pressure for you to adopt the values of South Florida. There's pressure for you to, to adopt the, just the, the cultural mores 
of South Florida. That pressure is being squeezed upon you to attempt to shape you into a certain image. And Paul says, don't, don't be conformed to that image. He says, instead, be transfigured, be metamorphosized, be changed into a different image. And he says, the force that will press upon you to change you into a different image is the renewing of your mind. What is the primary tool that God uses to renew the mind of a believer? Let me say it one more time in case you missed the question, because it's like an actual interactive part of the Bible study, okay? So answer will not be on the screen. What is the primary tool that God uses to renew the mind of a believer? His Word, right? He says, let, let, let a different pressure push, uh, press upon you, and let that, let that different pressure produce a different result. Instead of taking on the values, the mores, the, 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 the thinking and the living of the culture that you live in, you take upon you the values, the mores, the thinking and the living of what the Word of God teaches. He says that, that's a work God wants to do in us. The second time this word is used is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Again, a, a verse that's probably somewhat familiar to many of us. Paul writes, he's talking about glory, and he says, we all with unveiled face behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And then he says this, and we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. So there's another force that's working inside of us to transfigure us. So that, so that who we look like, Jesus looked one way at the bottom of the mountain, He looked different at the top of the mountain. There's a different force working on us to conform us into the image that God wants us to be. In addition to the renewing of our mind through the Word, it's the power of the Spirit at work in us. Here's how, here's how it often works. We read a passage of Scripture. The Word of God serves as a mirror. James told us that. It's like looking into the perfect law of liberty. And what the mirror reflects back to us often is something that's wrong, right? The, the, you look in the mirror and the shirt's wrinkled. You look in the mirror and the beard turned gray. You look in the mirror and the hair is messy. You look in the mirror and the shirt doesn't go with the pants, right, or whatever. Like the mirror is telling you something. It's reflecting back to you. Um, the problem is, is often when the mirror of the word reflects back to us something, we lack the power to make change. <laughs> like I look in the mirror and the mirror says, you're old, you're short, and you're skinny. It's like, okay, well, I really can't do anything about that. I can't change that. I stand next to my sons. I feel like I'm in a hole. Every one of my sons is, and, and is taller than I am. My, my wife will often just look over and just laugh. She goes, you look like a child next to your children. Right? So, so but I can't do anything. I lack any power to change that. It's not going to make any difference. I, I don't have the power to make the change. Well, here's what this passage says. Not only is the Word of God a, a, a transforming force in your life, but the Spirit of God empowers the Word of God to actually bring about the transformation. 
So I look at, a, at the passage and I go, Lord, you want me to be more, you want me to be more forgiving. And I just have a really hard time with what this person has done to me. And I, I can't seem to get over it. So here's what I'm going to do, Lord. I'm going to lay this at your feet every day until you set me free because your spirit has the power to do a work in my life, the transforming work of the spirit. So this passage of scripture is telling us about the transfiguration of Jesus, but the transfiguration of Jesus actually had a tremendous impact on those people that saw it. Their lives were changed. And the transfiguration illustrates for us the tremendous transformation that God wants to do in our lives so that we aren't people who just follow the culture that we find ourselves in, but we are people who by the Spirit of God and the Word of God are being changed into the people that God wants us ultimately to be. Let's kind of walk through a little bit of the text together. Um, Jesus starts out, verse 1, saying, there's some of you that are, are standing here that won't taste death until they see the kingdom of, of uh, God present with power. Jesus had been talking about his return in the verse before, and then all of a sudden he says, and some of you will not taste death till you see the kingdom come with power. When I first started walking with the Lord, I was 19 years old, and uh, I, I, I started reading my Bible on a daily basis. And um, I was in Matthew's gospel, chapter 16. So that will tell you that I had been reading my Bible on a daily basis for how many days? 16 days, right? <laughs> so 16 days I was reading my Bible. And I came, I read Matthew chapter 16, and Matthew chapter 16 closes with the same statement we read here in Mark 9.1. Some of you will not taste death till you see the kingdom coming or the kingdom present in power. And I read that verse and the chapter comes to an end. And I went, the Bible's a lie. Not one of those guys is alive, and Jesus has not come back. This isn't true. And I, I had to go to work, so I went to work all day, and then I got off work, and I went to the, a home Bible study. And there was one of the, the pastors that served in the youth ministry at the church was leading that home Bible study. I got there late because of work, and I, I, so they're worshiping, and I'm just sitting there. I'm not worshiping. I'm just thinking about this Bible verse, and I'm going to get that pastor, and he's going to explain to me why the Bible's not true, because Jesus didn't come back, and all those guys are dead. I know they're all dead. And I was sitting there, and as soon as, you know, amen to the last song, I charged forward at that home to see this guy, but somebody cut me off. And they're asking some dumb, irrelevant question. And, and I'm just waiting there. And as I'm waiting there, I'm holding my Bible open. And I'm just like, you're going to have to explain this to me. This is serious business. But as I'm waiting, I glance down. And the first verse of Matthew chapter 17 is the second verse of Mark chapter 9. It says, and six days later, he took Peter, James, and John up on a mountain and was transfigured before them. And I went, oh, Okay, and I turned around and sat down. Never even asked him a question. <laughs> What's happening is the transfiguration is a picture or a, a portrait or an illustration of the kingdom of God present with power. That's what Jesus is saying. This story illustrates for us the kingdom of God being present with power. Now, I told you as we started that the big theological um, uh, concept 
that's in this text is the kingdom of God. That's what this text is about. It's about God's kingdom being present with power. Now, the kingdom of God is both a future hope and a present reality. When we talk about the kingdom of God, it's a, it's a future hope. There's something that we're looking forward to. The, the psalmist spoke of that time when, when uh, uh, the, Christ's enemies would become his footstool. He talked about how Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God until he comes back and sets up his kingdom. Jesus talked about how the Son of Man would come with the clouds of heaven and with power and glory. Jude said that Jesus will return with tens of thousands of his saints. Daniel saw a, a vision. Remember, he saw that, that statue made of the different metals, and it represents the kingdoms of men, human government. And then he saw a stone and this stone hits this statue in its feet, and the statue crumbles into powder, and the powder blows away. And then the stone, this, the whole, the whole <laughs> um, uh, vision that he sees is weird. But this part's super weird because then the stone starts growing. Do stones grow? Like any of you, any, did any of you guys have pet rocks? Raise your hand if you had a pet rock. Okay, <laughs> okay. we know something about you that we didn't want to know. But so, so listen, you had a pet rock. It, it, when, did you take it home every day and water it and feed it and it grew into a pet boulder? Okay, it's like, oh, it started out. Oh, he's getting so big. Pinch those cheeks. I can't believe it. Last time I saw you, you were just a pebble. Okay, rocks don't grow. But in the, in the vision, he sees this, this stone grow into a massive mountain and the mountain covers the whole earth. And it's illustrative of the kingdom of God, this future reality. Listen to what Isaiah wrote regarding this kingdom. It's such a beautiful visual. He says, the wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leopard with the young goat, the calf and the lion together. The little child will lead them. A cow and a bear will graze together. The young ones shall lie down. The lion will eat straw like an ox. The nursing child will play by a cobra's hole. The weaned child will put his hand in a viper's den, and they will not hurt or destroy, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. <laughs> Is that a different world than we live in now? What happens if you put a wolf and a lamb in a room together now. Is that, is that, it's good news for the wolf, right? You put the lion in with the goat. You know, it's a good, it's good news for the lion. That in the world that we live in right now, these, these things are not compatible. It's a scary and violent scenario. But he's saying when God's kingdom comes, Everything is restored back to the way God intended it to be. Righteousness will rule the earth as the water covers the sea. And, and this story that Jesus says, listen, you're going to see something that is going to illustrate for you the coming kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is also a present reality. It's not just something that's in the future. It's not just something that, that it's like you, you heard the gospel you, you accepted Christ, you became a member, you're a card-carrying member of the Jesus Follower Club, 
And now you're just waiting and hoping for that one day when all the benefits become yours and Jesus comes back. No, no, the kingdom of God is a present reality. Jesus said, he was asked, when's the kingdom of God coming? And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. In other words, something happens inside of you when you accept Jesus Christ and Jesus becomes king. He sits on the throne of your heart and you become the citizen of another kingdom. You know, to use a different sort of illustration, you become someone who is marching after the beat of a totally different drum. You're a different individual. The kingdom of God happens to an individual when that individual accepts Jesus. And when that individual accepts Jesus, a transformation starts to happen from within. And over time, that inward transformation begins to affect outward change. And there starts to be a change in the, 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 the personality and the presentation of that individual. And that individual starts to impact change in their home and in their social endeavors and in their workplace, and the kingdom of God begins to spread. That's what happened for you. When when I first came to Christ, I can tell you, I I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I I didn't grow up with Bible stories. It's, It's not a fabrication for me to say that when I heard, when I heard the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego getting thrown into the fire, I was sitting in a Bible study. I was sitting where you're sitting. I was in the front row, guys teaching the Bible study, and I'm worried about these guys. I had no idea what was going to happen to them. And then it was like, and there was a fourth person in the fire. I was freaking out. There's a fourth person in the fire. And then they came out, and they weren't burned, and their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. And I'm looking around going, this is unbelievable. And all the people that grew up in church are like, ah, we drew cartoons of that when we were kids. Like, I couldn't even color in the lines the first time I heard that story. I did not have any Christian background. And I came to an outreach event. I was off-site. It wasn't at a church. It was in Orange County, uh, in Anaheim, and at this big event. I came in knowing zero about Christianity, about Christ, about the gospel. I heard the simple gospel message. I was invited if I wanted to receive Christ to come forward. I came forward at that event. There were so many people that came forward, you couldn't get near the stage. They invited us to go into a side room to to talk with somebody. We'd made a decision for Christ. I couldn't even get close to the side room. A guy grabbed a magazine. It was the Gospel of John. He rolled it up. And he threw it to me. I was about as far away as you and I are. And he threw it to me. This is an important part of the story. I caught it. And uh, and and this is what and this was my this was it. Never heard about Jesus. I have two friends that brought me there that had been Christians for like a month. And he throws it to me, catch it. He says, read that. Can I tell you my life was changed at that moment? The Spirit of God entered inside of me. I walked out of that that place. I was a different person. But can I tell you, it took quite some time for anyone else to notice that I was a different person. It took some time for my verbiage to change. It took time for my value system to change. It took time for, for the way I treated others to change. Did you understand? But the kingdom of God was spreading. It was spreading first internally, and then it began to, to spread externally. It began to affect my home. Now, all of a sudden, there was a secret agent in our home. 
I have two brothers and I have my parents, and they weren't believers. But now the kingdom of God just entered 4532 Prelude Drive. It hadn't been there before, but the kingdom of God came in. And then the kingdom of God started showing up in the, in the classes at Marina High School because I, I was now a follower of Jesus and went in the kingdom, and the kingdom of God starts spreading. See, the kingdom of God is a present reality, and, and it should affect change in the lives of the followers. So let's look at what they saw. We'll see the response, and we'll wrap up. Um, when they went up the mountain, notice what happens. We read... Uh, verse 2, they went up the mountain, Jesus was transfigured. Verse 3, they saw his clothes become exceedingly white with, like snow. Uh, verse 4, Elijah appeared with Moses talking with them. Verse 5, Peter says, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's make some tabernacles, one for each of you guys. Um, verse 7 says, a cloud came and the voice of God spoke. This is my beloved son. And then suddenly, no one was there, but they were with Jesus alone. So they, they go. Remember, I told you this would be a, an illustration of the kingdom and that future glory. And so they see, they see the glorified Jesus, and they see Jesus with glorified saints, and they hear the voice of God. And so what do we have to expect in the future when, when these bodies can no longer sustain our lives? What do we have to look forward to? Well, we're going to step into glory. We're going to see a glorified Jesus. The, the, mere, the, the dirty stained glass that makes it hard for us to see Jesus now is going to be removed. We're going to see him as he really is. And we'll be in glorified bodies. And we'll be surrounded by all those who have gone before us. Like you, in, in glory, any who have put trust in Jesus Christ and have gone before us are awaiting us in glory. Remember when the writer of Hebrews talks about a great cloud of witnesses that, that, that seem to be observing us, that cloud of witnesses, Elijah's there, Moses is there. Jesus said that in the kingdom to come, we will all sit down together with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We'll sit down together and, and enjoy fellowship with those that have gone before. So the kingdom's coming. Jesus is there. The, the saints have gone there. We're in glorified bodies. No long, Moses is not carrying the staff that a hundred-year-old Moses need to carry. He's in a glorified state. And the voice of God, the presence of God. It's a picture of that coming glory. And it's understandable why Peter wants to stay there. I mean, if, if, if you went from here and you climbed the highest hill in town... That's one of the bridges that goes over to the... And there on the top of that hill, Jesus shows up, Moses shows up, Elijah shows up, the voice of God is there. Do, would you want to leave? Do you want, do you want to go back to work? Do you want to go back to the trial that you have, you know, the leaky plumbing that you have at home or the, you know, the sore back that you try to do a job in your backyard? You're like, I don't want to do that. I just want to stay here. <laughs> Let's just hang out here. But Jesus releases them because although there's this future glory, the kingdom of God is also a present reality. And the next part of this story is going to illustrate the present reality of the kingdom. They come down the mountain. As they come down, they ask a question about Elijah. We don't have time for that because of the extended introduction that Andrew gave. It's not my fault. It's his fault. Um, but uh, when they do come down, verse 14... 
when they came down the, uh, with the disciples, um, he saw a great multitude around them. So the remaining nine disciples and the scribes are disputing. And uh, he asks, what are you discussing? Verse 17, and one from the crowd said, teacher, I brought my son who has a mute spirit and wherever it seizes, it throws him down, foams at the mouth, gathers his teeth, becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. So here's the reality. Hey, you're on this mountain. You're in the presence of the Lord, but there's reality at the bottom of the mountain. And the reality at the bottom of the mountain is here's a family who's being devastated by the work of the devil. Now, <clears throat> um, the... The work of the devil, we might say the purpose of the devil, is clearly presented in Scripture. Jesus said he wants to kill, steal, and destroy, right? And that purpose never changes. His purpose is always the same, but his methods vary greatly. Um, here, his methods are very overt. This child is seized by some sort of demonic spirit, and when this, when this happens to him, his body reacts as though he's having some sort of a seizure, and it's even, the father will go on to explain, even has attempted to, to take his own life, throwing him into the water, seizing, or attempt to throw him into the fire. So it's a very overt activity of the devil. His methods are not commonly that overt. They're usually much more covert, but he's got the same purpose as he wants to destroy. And his, his efforts here have destroyed this family and crippled the disciples. And so Jesus comes onto the scene, and Jesus, that's when Jesus says to the Father, we looked at it before, he says, do you believe? Because everything's possible if you believe. And the Father says, I believe, help my unbelief. So here we have this, they, they come from the mountain, this glorious, glorious experience of seeing a picture of what life will be like in the kingdom, and then they come down to come face to face with an overt, oppressive act of the devil on a family, and they're facing that head on. And Jesus, and, 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 and the idea here is, remember, this whole story is to illustrate the kingdom of God come with power. Because the coming kingdom of God, it's not just the power of when Jesus comes back and lions and lambs take naps together. It's the power of God to affect change in the lives of individuals who are gripped by the satanic influence in the world. His influence is not, not nearly as often is it overt? It's more oftenly covert, where he's just in control of the course of the world and people are just finding themselves floating down that stream. But the power of the gospel has the power to free people from that work. And so this illustrates the power. Je Jesus called it the, the gospel of the kingdom. And he said that this gospel of the kingdom would, would go to every nation before he returned and have impact upon countless lives. And so they're having this experience. And the, and the man says, Lord, I, I do believe, but I just also don't believe. And God meets him in his belief and carries him through his unbelief. So here's the reality. I think in one sense we could say, in a, in a limited sense, but we could say 
Church is designed as a place where we climb the mountain. That's what, that's what this should be. You come here every week and it's like, awesome, we're going up the mountain again. <laughs> we're going up the mountain and we're going to encounter Jesus. And we're going to sing these songs that, that just honor the power and the work of God in life. And we're going to be reminded of, of how amazing our God is. And then we're going to be fed from the Word. And the Word is like a spiritual food and it's nourishing us and it's encouraging us. And we're going to talk to one another and build one another up and pray for one another. And then when we go out the doors, what happens? We're going down the mountain and we're going to face whatever method the enemy is choosing to use to make following him and serving him challenging for us. And those methods are going to cause us to feel like this father. Lord, I believe, but I also just don't believe. And God's going to meet us in our belief and carry us through our unbelief. Now, the last part of the story, the last thing that I'll share, and then I'll ask the worship team to come up, and that is that when this happens and the young man is set free, um, the disciples come and ask Jesus why it was that they were not able to do it. Lord, you, you, you get earlier, you'd equipped us. Remember, Jesus had sent them out and they had confronted demons. They came back. It's excited, like, I can't believe it. Demons fled when we, and, and so, Lord, we've seen you use our life, but how come I couldn't have victory here? Do you feel that way? So let's just go to your personal, private Christian life. Are there areas where God's given you great victory? Are there areas where you see, I just, man, I used to be that way, and now I'm this way, and I just can't believe what God's done in my life. And then you also look and you go, I, but I don't understand how I can't overcome this. I just have so much fear all the time. And I don't know why I'm so afraid all the time. And I have such anxiety and I don't know why I can't overcome this. Or I don't know why, I just, I just get so angry. I just get so angry and I, I've, I've seen God do so much, but I can't overcome this. Or I just struggle, I can't believe I struggle with lust still. I've had such victory and I keep struggling here. And we, and we feel like the disciples. Lord, we've had amazing victories. Why couldn't we beat this? Or you take it into, you know, a, a, a ministry endeavor where you've seen God use you and then here you fail miserably. There, there's a story where, where King David sends some guys um, to a foreign country because the, the king of that country had died and just wanted to just say, hey, we're sorry and here's a gift. And the new king... He, um, he thought they were spies. And so the Bible says that they shaved half of their beards off and they cut their garments so their rear ends were showing and they sent them back to Israel. <laughs> they talk about a fail. Like, and I can tell you, serving the Lord, there have been a lot of times where I've gone out and I've come back, felt like I've been half shaved and my rear end is showing. Like, it was just like, a, like oh, I can't believe I did, just failed so badly. How, you know, how come, Lord, why couldn't we do this? And notice again, Jesus says in verse 29, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. If you're going to overcome this, you're going to need a, a, a additional energies placed in that. And they're not energies of the flesh. They're energies of the spirit, additional 
trusting in God, additional denying of the flesh, additional relying upon the work and the power of God. So this passage, it illustrates for us the kingdom of God. I'm going to ask the team to come back up. Um, It illustrates us for the kingdom of God. We have a great hope. There's a transfiguration coming, right? There's a time we're going to be in glory, and we're going to see Jesus, and we're going to be surrounded with the saints, and it's going to be unbelievable. But there's a kingdom now, and that kingdom is maybe going to be opposed by the, by the, the, the methods of the enemy, but the spirit and the power of God are going to bring victory. And this passage brings us comfort because everything that we face reveals our belief and our unbelief, and God will meet us in our unbelief, or meet us in our belief and carry us through our unbelief. And this passage instructs us the areas where we're finding defeat, we can have victory, but it might require some additional spiritual um, emphasis or investment.